Good evening and welcome back on this Saturday, the 24th day of December 2022. I'm your host, Mark Call, and it's certainly been quite a week. In spite of the usual dampening effect of the year-end holidays on actual news stories, But it doesn't really seem to matter that much when it comes to things like political chicanery or outright thievery, criminality, and treason, or especially what could be called acts of God, or maybe just plain biblically promised judgments. Some things, though, are definitely acts of men, and in many cases, of the most vile, base, and, uh, yeah, fallen kind. And we'll start off this evening with attacks on God-given rights, which at least once upon a time in this country were constitutionally protected, never so much so in Great Britain. So maybe we should start there. Says a report from Zero Hedge, also quoting Fox News, and the Alliance Defending Freedom, such as it is, in the UK, the Twitterverse has erupted over a clip that's gone viral of a UK woman being arrested for praying silently, how dare she, across from an abortion clinic. Yes, folks, that is now a crime in no longer Great Britain, especially if you try to get away with it by doing it quietly and unobtrusively. Says the story, a woman named Isabel Vaughn Spruce was, quote, standing near the BPAS Robert Clinic in Kings Norton, Birmingham, in an area that the ADF called a censorship zone. That means, Achtung, it is verboten to protest there, or even, it would seem, stand quietly on the street and pray in your own head. Police approached her after an onlooker complained that she just might be praying outside that abortion facility. Und sat ist verboten. The background here says that in the UK, Birmingham authorities have decreed buffer zones near abortion clinics, making it illegal for people to even appear to engage in behavior disapproving or approving of abortion. What do you bet they might not take it nearly as seriously if a leftist was to pray for babies to be killed? Out front of that clinic. It'd be to a different God, of course. Including, quote, graphic, verbal, or written means, prayer, or counseling. And the clip shows a woman silently standing on a curb across from an abortion clinic as what now passes for law enforcement in tyrannical old England, i.e. British Bobbies turned Gestapo approach her. One asks why she is standing there, and then answers the question that he didn't really want an answer to anyway for her by concluding she's there because of the abortion clinic. She denies she's part of any protest. The deadly follow-up question is then, are you praying? To which she responds, I might be praying in my head. Well, would you be willing to go to the station for questioning about your actions? If I've got a choice, she responded, then no. After which the officer says, well, then, quote, you're under arrest and claims she's charged with, and listen to this carefully, suspicion of failing to comply with the public spaces protection order, said a local Anglican priest. This is terrifying. And that's arguably putting it mildly. George Orwell, though, might be proud, because he certainly predicted it, even if it now seems Big Brother has moved way beyond thought crimes. Here next, then, a story from the Babylon Bee, which might seem increasingly tame by comparison. Yeah, it's tongue-in-cheek, but it's absolutely true and honest reporting. The White House issued a dire warning this week, says the piece, reminding the nation that Elon's continued ownership of Twitter means they now control 97% of the media. 
and said Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre lying through her damnable teeth for the marionette in chief. We can't overstate how dangerous this is. Yes, we still control two Facebook, Gulag, Apple, Instagram, YouTube, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, the WAPO, the New York Times, Hollywood Time, USA Today, and the Wall Street Journal, and pretty much everything else. But we don't control Twitter. This is dangerous to democracy. And the entire intelligence community, including but not limited to the CIA, DIA, FBI, NSA, all concurred with the warning, stating that Elon's ownership of Twitter leaves America vulnerable to dangerous opinions of which we do not approve. Democracy is at stake. See what I mean? It's just not quite as funny since it's now so undeniably true. From there, let's take a look back at some of the other big whoppers and uh, so-called news stories from over the previous weekend. This one really stands out. Says Fortune magazine and a whole bunch of other liars. If you passed on getting the COVID Zyklon B injection, they still call it a vaccine, the idiots. You might be a lot more likely to get into a car crash. And you know what? If you were gullible enough to be talked into risking your immune system in order to become a guinea pig for Big Brother's greatest genocidal mass murder experiment in history, you just might be gullible enough to swallow this whopper, too. This, they say, are the findings of a new study published this month in the, I guess I'd have to say now discredited, American Journal of Medicine, SICK where Canadian researchers, and ooh, right there, I think we got a problem, examined the encrypted government-held records of more than 11 million adults, 16% of whom hadn't been coerced into taking the Zyklon B. And they found that unvaccinated people were, are you believing this crap? I'm certainly not. They make the Babylon B look kind of tame. 72% more likely to be involved in a severe traffic crash. Especially, I can't help but think, if some vaccinated individual suffered a stroke or a clot or a heart attack or a seizure, crossed the center line and took them out. And honestly, folks, that's enough for the so-called study. Like I said, I saw this and I thought, how bald-faced are the lies getting? Well, it's the aftermath here that I thought was interesting. For example, the headline from the Daily Mail in the UK says, Outrage, as woke scientists say Americans unvaccinated against COVID should pay higher costs car insurance premium after that idiotic study indicated that they crash more. Whereupon the public took to Twitter, now that it's back being at least partly free, to criticize the morally dubious study as nothing but a sick joke. And what used to be called science, folks, and peer-reviewed journals, has now been so discredited that I'm simply going to call stories like this making stuff up. Speaking of which, here's a headline, that's enough, about also discredited director of the Center for Death and Control, Rachel Walensky, who said one of the biggest public health threats is vaccine misinformation, which is actually absolutely true in a Clintonian sort of way. Trouble is, what she doesn't tell you, they're the ones pushing it. From there, let's move on to a collection of some stories from early in the week. Things which may be climate-related, but absolutely, even in spite of the propaganda, are not man-made. This one comes from the Daily Mail under the headline, Mysterious Shockwave Has Cracked the Earth's Magnetosphere That Protects Our Planet from Dangerous Radiation from Space. A shockwave, it says, barreled into Earth's magnetic field and cracked the magnetosphere open. And while that shockwave's origin is unknown, scientists suggest it may have come from a crackling sunspot that released eight solar flares on December the 14th. All of the medium-sized, or M-class. This time from Sunspot AR-3165. And you may have heard the term here, coronal mass ejection, or CME. The crack, it says, can stay open for hours and let solar winds flow through, with quite a few effects on Earth, some of them known and arguably more of them not so much. 
Here's a story that's probably not man-made from the San Francisco area of California where a strong magnitude 6.4 earthquake struck in the Pacific Ocean just offshore near Ferndale at the tip of the Cascadia subduction zone. The quake took place at 5.34 Eastern Time, U.S., 2.34, middle of the night a.m. local time in California, and struck at a fairly shallow depth of only 16.1 kilometers, was felt widely throughout the state, and is reported to have left tens of thousands without power. And dozens of smaller aftershocks have been reported since, up to magnitude 4.6, including one in the Bay Area of magnitude 3.6. And as you might suspect, with no firm answers, people are still asking the question, are we getting closer to the big one? We have this, too, from the National Weather Service and the non-existent man-made global warming front. A massive storm system is set to bring a bitter Arctic blast that will affect millions of people across the central and eastern parts of the United States with a dangerous threat of snow, damaging winds, and plummeting temperatures. The storm is expected to start Wednesday with the most impact expected from Thursday through Christmas Eve. Treacherous conditions will threaten to snarl holiday travel, and blizzards are expected in parts of the Midwest and Great Lakes, while Mississippi and the Deep South may get blasted by the coldest air those states have seen in at least five years, said Fox Weather. Well, folks, this one they actually kind of got right, at least this time around. It does, however, kind of blow the man-made global warming BS right out the window. But climate change, at least, they're still pushing. By the time we got to the weekend, hysterical headlines like this were all over the place. 2,000, 3,000, no, 4,000 flights have been canceled, disrupting Christmas travel for millions. Others were delayed by adverse weather literally all over the place, especially in the Midwest. They used to call it flyover country. Not so much right now. Nearly a million homes, said the Daily Mail, are without power as hurricane-force winds and blizzards batter the nation. Mass outages in Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Tennessee, Mississippi, Louisiana... It's being called things like a bomb cyclone, snowpocalypse. Six governors have declared the usual states of emergency amid sub-zero temperatures and whiteouts. This would be funny if it wasn't so ironic. It's also being called a once-in-a-generation winter system. What do you bet we're going to see more of these in the same generation, folks, as man-made global warming fades into nothing but a warm fantasy memory. Meanwhile, a lot of places are more than 40 degrees below what used to be normal for this time of year. Oh, yeah, and technically, winter's just barely even gotten started. And on a related story, folks, people like Mike Adams are indicating there's chatter from the Antifa and other leftists, probably that includes their FBI handlers, that just maybe this would be a really great time for a major attack on the power grid to cause some real sustained infrastructure damage if temperatures are already going to be low enough that a major power outage could really cause some havoc. So, for example, if there was a sustained grid-down situation during this kind of cold, things like building sprinkler systems might actually freeze and cause more damage than the cold itself. So, at least, call it a word to the wise. And finally, from the pseudoscience and political engineering front, we have this, courtesy of Daisy Luther, the organic prepper. Switzerland is planning to restrict the use, are you ready, of electric cars during the coming winter energy crisis. Why? Well, because these things are a major drain on the power grid. And besides, who wants to drive an electric car during the wintertime anyway? Or if you run the heater, your already pitiful range is reduced dramatically. So, as you may have already heard, thanks to incredible political idiocy in the attempt to foment World War III, power in Europe is already at a premium, and the world in general is facing a full-on, manufactured, your host will note, energy crisis. 
Heck, she says, some folks in the UK are already getting hit with electric bills that exceed $10,000 per month. Another lady, says Daisy, who lives in Britain, told me that they're having their smart meter read and using the equivalent of almost 59 bucks of power a day. Still, they're only heating their living room and using lights, and it isn't even really full-on winter yet. So Switzerland has, uh, <laughs> this is kind of ironic, planned ahead, well, at least failed to plan ahead, and is now trying to recover from that. The UK Telegraph reports they have a two-tiered plan that they're calling both crisis and then emergency as well as three levels of restrictions in the emergency tier, two for the crisis tier. And if you're getting COVID lockdown vibes, you're probably having a bit of deja vu. Public buildings will be cooled off. People will be told that the hot water for their washing machines will be limited to a maximum of 40 degrees C or 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Streaming services will lower their video resolutions from HD quality to the old-fashioned standard level. And if things continue to get worse, shops will be asked to close two hours early and electric vehicles will be limited to essential journeys only. While escalators might be stopped and outdoor Christmas lights turned off. This one's interesting. If supplies keep dropping, cryptocurrency mining would then be banned, along with things like lights in sports stadiums and swimming pools simply being closed. And here's the part that should elicit some derisive laughter from anybody with any understanding of engineering. Experts acknowledge, they say, that moving to electric vehicles over the coming years will present a challenge. Gee, do you think? Part of that challenge is building a grid that simply isn't up to the task and uh, arguably won't be. But they said it was laughable to call a few hours of voluntary charging limits a sign of failure. Because, get this, nobody charges their vehicles during those times anyway. Because it costs more. So why do they feel the need, Daisy S., to request that nobody charges them then anyway? I guess the point is, these are people with no understanding whatsoever of free markets or even human behavior who seem to believe the only answer to get what they really want, even though they'll deny it, is force. And since these are the same folks in general that are trying to force people to buy electric vehicles, whether they want it or not, because, hey, all the better to control you, it's no wonder they don't like having the contradictions pointed out, especially when it's too cold to drive without heat anyway. Daisy proceeds to go through some of the numbers. Suffice it to say that the cost of charging an electronic vehicle, which in many cases is now getting up to or far exceeding the cost of gasoline or diesel fuel, isn't the only issue. For example, eventually that EV battery is going to need to be replaced, and that is a truly eye-watering number. So much so that it might even make the grocery bills Big Brother is planning to shove down your throats look tame by comparison. From the World War III front and the Hal Turner radio show, Ukraine is now openly attacking targets inside Russia. The latest event seems to be four U.S. high-speed AGM-88 so-called anti-radiation missiles, or HARMS, being shot down by Russian air defenses over the Belgorod region in Russia earlier today. And the American-made missiles were fired by aircraft from the Ukraine. The Russian Ministry of Defense confirmed the missiles having been shot down, and in mid-August, notes the story, the puppet regime in Washington supplied AGM-88 harm missiles to Ukraine, which are used by Ukrainian MiG-29 and Su-27 aircraft. Quote, these missiles showed actually zero effectiveness in the framework of the hostilities in Ukraine. Most of them were shot down by Russian anti-aircraft missile systems. Another part was suppressed or set aside by means of electronic protection of air defense system, said a source, noting that some of the missiles failed or missed the target as well. And perhaps this low efficiency is due to their mediocre maximum speed, just a bit over 1,300 miles per hour, and their high visibility. 
For comparison, the Russian AS-17 and AS-11 Krypton and Kilter anti-radar missiles fly at between one and a half and two times that speed. And this is interesting, folks, because what these articles no longer seem that interested in pointing out is that all of these things, i.e. the use of American missiles, and before that American-made drones, inside Russian territory, are clear acts of war. And perhaps surprisingly, Russia hasn't yet decided to bring that point home, forcefully. Let's turn next to the economic front, where we continue to see more stories warning about the impending meltdown. Here's one courtesy of Ms. Shetlock and Mishtok, also via Tyler Durden and Zero Hedge. The EU has now imposed the world's largest, and I would say, yeah, idiotic, carbon tax scheme. Inflationary madness, it says, has set in. And what this is called is CBAM, the Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism put in place by the European Parliament. They've reached a deal to do, uh, well, more stuff that's destined to make worse the already possibly terminal energy shortage they're facing this winter. But that's not all. They're going to continue to pile on. So as the story, the EU CBAM, or Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, will be set up to equalize the price of carbon paid for EU products operating under their already basically communist EU emissions trading system. And it'll be achieved by obliging companies that import into the EU to purchase so-called CBAM certificates to pay the difference between the carbon price paid in the country of production and the price of carbon allowances in the EU ETS. And they'll cover all kinds of things that once an industrialized society might have needed, like iron, steel, cement, aluminum, fertilizers, and electricity, as well as downstream products like screws and bolts, or anything else made out of iron and steel. (laughs) And probably that means they won't be made or imported there for too much longer. But it's just possible, suggests Peter Schiff, that CBAM is the EU's way of striking back the U.S. for what the Biden Fuhrer has been trying to do via things like the horribly misnamed Inflation Reduction Act, which is actually the opposite, to also destroy world production and energy supplies. More likely, he says, it's just economic stupidity across the board, as he's noted of late. And now predicts three things you can rest assured CBAM will do. Increase inflation, reduce global trade, and hammer developing countries. But one thing it won't do is pretty much anything at all for the environment. Elon Musk has dropped yet another installment in the Twitter files. We're up to at least half a dozen at this point, demonstrating just how satanically evil the big public-private partner is when it comes to suppressing anything even remotely resembling free speech. Is he for real? Just how much of the truth will be allowed to come out? Well, Susan DeClo has a really interesting summary of what we know so far called Pandora's Box Has Been Opened and the Deep State Exposed as 100-plus former Intel community members, it's now been demonstrated, positioned and targeted conservatives to be silenced. And say what you will, she begins about Elon Musk. Believe me, the media and liberals across the Internet are hating on him daily. But at least he has exposed the inner workings of a large social media company to show how half the nation is being targeted to be silenced by what has been called the deep state. To make a long story short, the deep state are individuals in and outside of Big Brother government that work behind the scenes to control America. In 2020, they worked tirelessly to prevent President Donald Trump from serving a second term. And what we've learned from Elon Musk since then, by allowing internal documentation to be released to independent journalists and disseminated on Twitter, is that the deep state did far more than just target conservatives for mere censorship. Most people already knew this, if they've been paying attention, but without the internal communication being released, 
there was no proof that ever saw the light of day. And that's now changed in a big way. It's also led to some other very disturbing revelations. So here she goes into a summary of what we know so far, starting with Twitter and the FBI. The initial four releases covered a lot of ground, from the coordinated efforts of Twitter leaders to ban Donald Trump, even while he was sitting president, and then to leave that ban in place even after acknowledging among themselves that there was no legitimate reasoning or actual violations to justify the ban. But that obviously wasn't all. They moved on to the deliberate suppression of a true news story about Hunter Biden and the laptop from hell. And there she quotes a Washington Examiner story dated December the 18th that says, The information Musk released essentially confirmed what we already knew, that Twitter suppressed the New York Post story without having any legitimate reason to do so. Twitter executives embraced the false notion that the story was, say it with me folks, Russia, Russia, Russian disinformation as a rationale to kill the story, especially as far as Twitter was concerned. Why did they do that? Twitter head of site integrity, how's that for a laughable, disgusting title, Yoel Roth, said in a declaration to the FBC that since 2018, he had, quote, regular meetings with the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the Department of Aktung, Homeland Security, the FBI, and industry peers regarding election security. How's that for a laughable lie? Roth revealed that in those meetings, FedGov officials said they were expecting some sort of 2016-style foreign election interference. That would be foreign to the deep state, you know, in the lead-up to the 2020 election. And here's what Roth said in its entirety. During these weekly meetings, the federal law enforcement agencies communicated that they expected hack and leak operations by state actors might occur in the period shortly before the 2020 presidential election, likely in October. I was told, he said, in these meetings that the intelligence community expected that individuals associated with political campaigns would be subject to hacking attacks and that material obtained through those hacking attacks would likely be disseminated over social media platforms, including Twitter. These expectations of hack and leak operations were discussed throughout 2020. I also learned in these meetings that there were rumors that a hack and leak operation would involve Hunter Biden. Unquote. And let's remember, folks, the FBI had and held on to and suppressed and then lied about the Hunter Biden laptop for a long time before the New York Post even blew the lid on it. So, as Susan DeClos notes, it's entirely irrelevant to understand that in this case, specifically, the FBI was deliberately working to interfere with the presidential election because we now know what Americans think would have happened if the FBI hadn't used their socialist media connections and backdoors to interfere. The poll? 79% of Americans say that truthful coverage of Hunter Biden's laptop would have changed the 2020 election. Well, let me make a quick modification here. No, it wouldn't have changed the election, rigged as it was, but it certainly would have made it a lot more difficult for the deep state to cover up the level of perfidy that was involved in slamming it down people's throats. Key point, she notes, on the subject of the 2020 election, 79% of people overall said it was very or somewhat likely that a, quote, truthful interpretation of that laptop would have resulted in the re-election of President Donald Trump instead of the Biden-Fuhr fake. And among Republicans, 57% were strongly convinced Trump would have won as compared to 48% of independents and even 44% of Democrats. 
And if that wasn't enough, she said, we now have more bombshells by way of another Twitter files dump referenced as a supplemental and information on how the FBI, NSA, CIA, and DHS have also infiltrated the ranks of two Facebook employees. A Twitter user did some deep digging to find out about the FBI and Twitter and noted that Facebook currently employs 17 former CIA agents, 37 FBI, 23 NSA, and 38 DHS employees. This information, by the way, courtesy of publicly available LinkedIn profiles. In total, 115 two Facebook employees were, or probably still are, part of the Intel community. And as we'll discuss, she says, after this segment, those same agencies were involved in silencing any type of news that didn't fit the official narrative that they wanted pushed. In short, and all news pipeline isn't alone in observing this, Twitter was in fact nothing but an FBI subsidiary. We'll close out the first segment with this admittedly disgusting story. The traders posing as the January 6th committee have issued their final, at least hopefully, bit of idiocy and published an 845-page report summarizing literally volumes of lies. But I guess it's their way of saying, hey, this is our excuse for turning America into something that would have made the old Soviet Union gulags blush. Oh, yeah, and they want to ban the guy that actually won the election from ever even trying again for daring to suggest that it was rigged. As if we didn't know that already, and they keep proving it again, like most recently this week in Arizona. No, folks, it's not raining. That's just what they'd like you to believe. And we'll be right back. Welcome back now to the second segment for this evening. I am your host, Mark Call, and as we get to midweek in our look back, let's try at least to start this segment off with something other than the warmongering fake news media fawning over the clown puppet media with the senile marionette. Yeah, Zelensky was in the District of Criminals. All he wants for Christmas is a nuclear war, and the unelected mob boss and his criminal congress are more than happy to give it to him. Come on, what's a few more tens of billions here and there anyway? So far, at least, the nukes haven't flown, just Zelensky on U.S. military transport. Actually, the most interesting thing about the whole choreographed comedy skit was the outfit that uh, Zelensky wore before Congress and at the White House. A camo sweatshirt, pants, and combat boots. Both Tucker Carlson and a writer for Breitbart all took him to task for not bothering to wear a suit. Tweeted the Breitbart writer, for 45 billion bucks, at least show some respect, run a suit. As Carlson noted, he looked like a strip club owner demanding money. So let's start with a couple of other items to set the stage today, neither of which you're likely to hear on the Waystream media, for reasons that will become obvious. Starting with this one from Zero Hedge, local media in Arizona, where the story begins by saying liberal Waystream media outlets have downplayed yet again another story about a good guy with a gun preventing yet another mass murder. Turns out it wasn't a gun-free killing zone after all. This happened last Wednesday and involved a man who's been hailed as a good Samaritan by police. 
after he stopped an active shooter at an Amazon Flex warehouse in Chandler, Arizona, according to Fox 10 News in Phoenix. Arizona just happens to be an open carry state, so there aren't nearly as many gun-free killing zones as, say, in one of the mass murder centrals like New York or Chicago. An Amazon worker who did happen to be open carrying saw the shooter, 29-year-old Jacob Murphy, attempt to enter the building before shooting an employee, evidently over uh, jealousy issues regarding his girlfriend. That's when the armed Amazon worker, the Good Samaritan, went into action, fired at Murphy, wounding him, which caused him to drop to the ground and cease the rampage. He was later pronounced dead, according to police, after at least one more gunshot wound, apparently self-inflicted. While the first victim, shot by the wannabe mass murderer, is still recovering, but is expected to survive. Said Gun Owners of America, commenting on the story, Thankfully, Arizona is a constitutional carry state, and as a result, this good Samaritan was ready and able to defend himself and others when needed. And in the process, of course, he saved lives. Even if those who want you disarmed and dead would just assume you didn't know that. Not a hint, for example, of anything associated with this story in, say, the WAPO or New York Times. The second story to which I referred shares a similar theme, i.e., you're not about to hear it from the waste stream. But if you are paying attention, you probably know this without me even having to say it. But still, it bears repeating because it's so important and so ignored. A stunning preprint study, says Kristen Taylor for the Gateway Pundit, by the Cleveland Clinic, published Monday at MedRxIV, shows, I hope you're sitting down, that mRNA not vaccines raise the risk of contracting the Fauci Booga Booga flu, COVID-1984, and that each subsequent mRNA booster that the victim is enticed into uh, injecting themselves with increases that risk of contracting the dread. COVID-19, while those who didn't get suckered into becoming a guinea pig, i.e. have not received any so-called mRNA vaccines, have, uh-oh, the lowest risk of contracting the booga-booga flu. And remember, that risk is low anyway, but not nearly as low after you've taken the poison poke, as is dying from some of the other many side effects of strokes, myocarditis, pericarditis, or of course, immune system destruction. Still, says the story, the result is the opposite of how the not-vaccines have been sold to the gullible public and mandated by Big Brother's so-called authorities. Oh, yeah, and the highest risk was for those who received more than three doses of the Zyklon B. <laughs> this line from the study is at least kind of humorous in hindsight. Quote, the association of increased risk of COVID-19 with high numbers of prior vaccine doses in our study was unexpected. Unquote. Which brings me now to another very important story that the waste stream definitely doesn't want to talk about. I did still see it from multiple sources, however, including TrendingPolitics.com, The Gateway Pundit, and others. But no, still not the WAPO or New York Times, etc. There's a trial going on, of course, in Arizona over the election fraud that, so far at least, Big Brother's minions have gotten away with. Turns out, though, that Carrie Lake's people have information that might be of interest to those who aren't buying what's been sold to them. 48 of 113 ballots that were randomly sampled and reviewed during the Carrie Lake challenge were 19-inch ballots printed instead on 20-inch paper that just amazingly managed to jam the machines on Election Day and prevent certain votes in certain precincts, especially in Maricopa County, from being counted. 42% of all the ballots examined by investigators turned out to be those bogus, improperly sized ballots, and all of them managed to jam the tabulators on Election Day in Maricopa County. The ballots, as Christina Layla points out for TGP, were all printed by Runback Company, a printing corporation run by a very far-left 
Arizona family that donates strictly to Democrat candidates and causes. The flawed ballots were handed out on Election Day, says the piece, when officials knew Republicans, especially in certain precincts, would come out in force. And you may have heard this number before, but it shows just how statistically, well, unbelievable the results were. 72% of all the voters who turned out on Election Day were Republican. Only 17% were Democrats. There were huge problems with those ballots in certain precincts. And guess what? When it was all said and done, Democrats supposedly broke even in all the Kerry Lake strongholds. And that was just enough to make sure that the election stayed in the uh, rigged column. They also had a cybersecurity expert who testified on Wednesday at the trial under oath that using the wrong size ballots did cause them to be rejected. (laughs) And I guess you could argue as planned. And how's that for the narrative that the lefters are so anxious to make sure that every vote gets counted? (laughs) Well, obviously, only if you're the right kind of voter. Here's a related story, also from the Gateway Pundit, this time Joe Hoff. We're in the afternoon at the Cary Lake trial. The chain of custody expert, turns out there were actually two of them from different counties, testified on the status of chain of custody activities in Maricopa County and as a colleague testified for Runbeck County. The legal requirements for chain of custody were not being followed. Hey, they were breaking the law. Who could have thought it? Heather Honey says the story destroyed any suggestion that Maricopa County was following the law when it comes to chain of custody requirements. According to the law that was supposed to be in effect anyway, but doesn't seem to matter in Arizona nowadays for the 2022 election. She shared more of her knowledge on the chain of custody when she indicated that the law mandates that the county recorder is responsible for oversight of drop boxes no matter what day it is during the election. And the claim that the law doesn't permit him or her to be concerned with chain of custody on election day is nonsense. In other words, experts have suggested that the Arizona Elections Procedures Manual shows that Stephen Richer was not being truthful when he claimed he was not responsible for the oversight of drop boxes on the day of the purloined election. Here's another story that might shock those who still believe there is integrity in government. Yeah, sure. This one again comes from Christina Leila and PGP about how the Biden regime and its so-called climate envoy, the disgusting and discredited John Kerry, used taxpayer money to pay foreign reporters to promote booga, 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 non-existent man-made global warming. Oh, now it's been renamed climate change. And of course, what they were promoting is climate alarmism around the world. The story calls it the climate change hoax and says U.S. taxpayers are being forced to pay other countries' climate reparations, while, of course, China and India, some of the biggest polluters on planet Earth, refuse to reduce emissions or participate in the idiotic international treaties. Said Fox News, the FPC reporting tour, titled Combating the Climate Crisis Through U.S. Innovation, ultimately it took place during a two-week stretch in May of 2021, was designed to promote the, quote, administration's goal of prioritizing the fight against climate change through global efforts to reduce emissions, according to the State Department, which quietly announced the program back in 2021, although they did not bother to disclose that it would be funded by, oh, guess who? U.S. taxpayers, or at least newly printed money, and the invisible, insidious tax of inflation. State Department emails show that the regime funded a foreign reporting tour last year and sponsored a number of overseas journalists who cover uh, climate change. Because obviously, they need to be educated in how to report properly on the worldwide climate scam. 
Meanwhile, Twitter's involvement, among other public-private partners, in promoting disinformation and censoring free speech continues to uh, be revealed. Twitter Files Part 7 has been released, courtesy of this time Michael Schellenberger. It's entitled The FBI and the Hunter Biden Laptop. Hey, there's more on that. How the FBI and intelligence community, it said, discredited factual information about the Hunter Biden foreign business dealings, both after, and here's the key, before the New York Post eventually revealed the contents of his laptop before the election on October the 14th, 2020. That's why, folks, the FBI was ready and eager to do what they needed to do to prevent any of that information from coming out and continue with the election rig all the way back then. Elon Musk had an interesting tweet. The response is kind of revealing, too, although it doesn't come from the target. As outgoing chair of House Intelligence, sick, he asked Adam Schiff for brains, did you approve hidden state censorship in direct violation of the Constitution of the United States? And the tongue-in-cheek reply actually came as a, quote, from Archbishop Carlo Marie Vigano, who said, Do not think that the children of darkness act with honesty, and do not be scandalized if they operate with deception. Do you perhaps believe Satan's followers are honest, sincere, and loyal? Unquote. They could have quoted scripture, folks, from Jeremiah, who simply put it this way several thousand years earlier, We've inherited lies from our fathers, things when there is no truth, no prophet. Oh, yeah, and he said the human heart is deceitful above all and desperately wicked, too. Who can know it? Well, we may not be able to know it, but we're hopefully learning to recognize it when we see it. On the other side of the World War III fence, though, it looks like if Biden intends to send all of America's defensive and offensive weapons to Ukraine, Vladimir Putin has his own response planned. Says the propaganda for the Daily Mail concerning the so-called warmongering despot. <laughs> Good grief! Putin is preparing for the next stage of the Ukraine war. Nuclear combat readiness has been raised. The troop count has been boosted by 350,000 troops to 1.5 million. The Navy has been armed with hypersonic missiles that the United States, by the way, can't match. And the military has been sent to tackle NATO wannabes, Finland and Sweden. And this is interesting, folks. Not a word in here about funding for transgender operations for Russian soldiers or drag queens. How do they think they're going to fight a war without sexual perversions masquerading as political correctness? The Kremlin intends to invest whatever is necessary to increase its nuclear arsenal, and they vowed that the much-hyped Zircon hypersonic cruise missiles will be available to their forces within weeks. Furthermore, said the Russian leader, special emphasis will go to developing his country's nuclear forces, which he described as the, quote, main guarantee of Russia's sovereignty. Al Turner and his radio show had more in-depth information on those developments. While the clown and the clown prince were getting together in the District of Criminals, a meeting Wednesday between Russian President Vladimir Putin and the President of Belarus, Alexander Yukashenko, the first in more than three and a half years, provided some noticeable developments. No surprise, given that Putin was accompanied by his defense minister, Shoigu, Foreign Minister Lavrov, and Kremlin Press Secretary Dmitry Peskov. Attendees from world media outlets took notice at exactly who also was in the Russian entourage, the three top men from the Russian government, and a rare foreign trip by the top Kremlin spokesperson as well. And hadn't been this level of high-ranking Russian officials to any single foreign meeting since the Cold War. And simultaneously, says the story, videos began emerging of trains carrying heavy armor into Belarus from Russia, including T-80 tanks and trucks along roads carrying S-400 and Iskander hypersonic missiles toward the border with Ukraine. 
Here the story quotes retired U.S. Colonel James W. McConnell, who's confident that Russia's military tactics are, at least from their standpoint, just what the doctor ordered. Quote, the Russians have begun to destroy the Ukrainian lines of communication, the power grid, bridges, roads, and railroads, without which Ukraine's forces can't be resupplied. And he continued, once the destruction of the lines of communication is completed, Russia's army, particularly its extensive artillery, will present Ukrainian forces with the unpleasant reality that they're vastly outgunned and outnumbered, unquote, as the former member of the New Hampshire House of Representatives wrote for an article published on Ron Paul's Institute for Peace and Prosperity. And the limit to the unpleasant reality will depend on just how far Russia wants to move west, he believes. Quote, the most likely option is that Russia will want to take at least Nikolaev and the Odessa regions, in addition to the four regions that Russia has already taken, Luhansk, Donetsk, Zaporizhzhia, and Kyrgyzstan. When Moscow achieves these goals, he says, NATO will find itself in a difficult situation in which the alliance will have to either recognize the Russian victory or engage in battle with Russia. And he noted that despite its undoubted military power, diminished as it has been of late, the North Atlantic Alliance has very little chance of winning the war with Russia. And in his opinion, quite unexpected for a career U.S. Air Force officer, McConnell also notes that Russia is the world leader in air defense technology. Their S-400 air defense system is considered to be the world's best in its class. Turkey, a NATO member, has such systems at its disposal, but Russia has already modernized those to S-500, and they've already been deployed as well at critical facilities in Russia. Bottom line, he says, Russia is five years ahead of the United States in the field of hypersonic missile technology, which is thus literally defenseless against Russian hypersonic missiles that are capable of maneuvering during their flight path. While the U.S. is still at the testing stage, Russia has already fielded four different hypersonic missiles from their existing families, Kinjal, Caliber, Iskander, and Zircon, let alone the new avant-garde hypersonic glide vehicle. And then he added some sobering conjecture on top of that. Should NATO enter a war with Russia, the U.S. Navy's carrier task force in the Ionian Sea is an obvious Russian target. How could they successfully defend themselves against Russia's simultaneous and probably massive hypersonic and conventional missile attack, he wondered. Should the Russians sink a carrier task force, Taiwan would, for example, have to rethink any illusions they have about the U.S. coming to its aid in a conflict with China and end up becoming far more amenable to a soft conquest similar to the Chinese takeover of Hong Kong. And given the importance of Taiwan semiconductor processing plants, or fab lines, folks, that's a far bigger deal than most Americans can understand. And it has national security implications as well, as if those already weren't pretty much toilet paper. He concluded that for the last 20 years, the Russians and the Chinese have sought to strengthen their armed forces, while America's leadership has, on a bipartisan basis, been obsessed with the Middle East. And he doesn't say it, folks, I will. Also, a whole lot of idiotic political correctness, and even destroying not only unit cohesion, but unit health, via things like the Zyklon B mandates. As a result, though, says McConnell, a persuasive argument suggests that the U.S. is no longer unbeatable. And it would seem, folks, if the criminals in the district thereof have their way, we may soon find out. And speaking of criminals, America's premier Gestapo organization has issued their own rebuttal to the Twitter files, edition 7. <laughs> and as Zero Hedge puts it, the FBI statement in response to Elon Musk's latest release of damning information boils down to, of course we've embedded ourselves in socialist media companies. And anyone who dares have a problem with that is a conspiracy theorist trying to tarnish our stellar reputation. That's my story.
Here's how they tried to spin it. Quote, the correspondence between the FBI and Twitter show nothing more than examples of our tradition, long-standing and ongoing federal government and private sector engagements. Yeah, they're coming right out and admitting the fascist public-private partnerships, which they say involve numerous companies over multiple sectors and industries. We are listening and watching everywhere. As evidenced in the correspondence, the FBI provides critical information to the private sector in an effort to allow them to protect themselves and their customers. And get this, here we go. The men and women of the FBI work every day to protect the American public. At least those we don't trap and destroy, like we've been working to destroy the rule of law, too. It is unfortunate, concludes this bit of tripe, that conspiracy theorists and others are feeding the American public misinformation with the sole purpose of attempting to discredit the agency. Achtung und heil the Reich. That's about as disgusting as it gets. And just in case there's any doubt on that score... Here's how Michael Schellenberger underscored the key facts on December the 21st from the latest damning release of information regarding treason. Number one, the FBI did, in fact, take Hunter Biden's laptop in December 2019. They knew it didn't come from hacking, and they've been lying about it ever since, your host notes. Number two, the FBI spent the entire year of 2020 telling Twitter that a, quote, hack and leak involving Hunter, the beloved son of the most important man on planet Earth, in spite of his senility, would occur in October 2020. Huh, how did they know? And number three, the FBI was spying on Rudy Giuliani when he gave that same laptop to the New York Post. But hey, we already knew that. They're spying on everybody. Well, unless they're actively engaged in the conspiracy to overthrow the government that's now been so successful. And yeah, I guess we'll follow that up with another story that pretty much makes the same point. This one courtesy of one of the best statisticians and connectors of data dots out there, John Lott Jr., courtesy of Real Clear Politics, Zero Hedge, and hopefully a lot of others. For the second year in a row, he begins, the Centers for Death and Control, or the CDC, has been caught ignoring the science and instead letting liberal interest groups set their policies. In 2021, the American Pediatric Academy and the Children's Hospital Association tracked COVID-19 statistics in children, and the data showed, get this, no relationship between mask mandates and the rate at which children caught the disease. If anything, folks, the correlation is the opposite. Kids that destroy their immune system by rebreathing their own exhaust gases, like carbon dioxide, and not getting enough oxygen, not only stunt their growth, their development, but weaken their immune system in the process, too. Anyway, in spite of all of this evidence and in the face of it and other data showing that masks harm children's development continues lot the cdc supported masking students after being pressured by the largest teachers union the national education sick association now he says comes word that cdc is again allowing partisan politics who'd have thought it to influence its 
policies. This time, it's gun control activists that got the CDC to remove research from their website. Yet, the CDC is still trusted to impartially dole out millions of dollars for public health, sick research, on firearms. From 2020 through 22, the CDC and the NIH each spent about 50 million bucks on such so-called research. Until May of this year, he notes, the CDC cited a 2013 NAS, or National Academy of Sciences, report showing that the annual number of defensive gun uses ranged from a minimum of about 64,000 to perhaps 3 million. And the CDC website listed that upper figure at 2.5 million, but now the CDC has removed from its website all of those numbers and even the very link to the NAS report itself. Following introductions from the White House and Democrat Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois, gun control advocates linked up with the CDC, had a private meeting, and numerous email exchanges, uh uh-oh, more smoking guns, in which they lobbied hard to have the CDC deep-six that information. Here's one of them. Mark Bryant, who runs the so-called Gun Violence Archive, yeah, sure, wrote to CDC officials after the meeting, get this, that two and a half million number needs to be killed, buried, dug up, killed again, and buried again, because he said it's highly misleading. Oh, no, we can't have the peons knowing the truth here. It's used out of context. And I honestly believe it has zero value, he said. Well, it sure as heck does, folks, if your obvious goal is to disarm the American people. And he was upset that the two and a half million number has been, quote, used so often to stop legislation. You know, legislation that infringes the hell out of that right that they don't like at all. Lot goes on to note just exactly how they manipulate the statistics, even those that they later remove, because still they're higher than they want people to know. For example, the Department of Just Us and its National Crime Victimization Survey estimates that there are between 64,000 and 120,000 instances each year in which a firearm is used defensively, which is on the low end of all other scientific data on the subject, says Lot. Some 20 such surveys have been conducted. Three of them show 800,000 or so defensive guns uses annually. All the other estimates are over a million, with one as high as three and a half million, while the average is around two million. Isn't it funny how when it comes to politics, Big Brother's numbers are usually far less than 10% of the real total? Then he goes on to describe exactly how it is that they rig the figures by first asking if a person has been a victim of a crime and only respondents who answer yes are then given the follow-up, have they ever used a gun defensively? And yet, he notes, people who do successfully brandish a firearm don't generally view themselves because they didn't get victimized as having been victimized. By the way, he doesn't say it, but I will. Some are probably worried that if they did use a firearm defensively, they still might worry, especially in some jurisdictions, about being prosecuted for it. And even more especially, if Big Brother didn't want them to have it, when and where they needed it. Lod goes on to note that what makes defensive gun uses newsworthy doesn't accurately reflect the real world. In GVA statistics, 43% of their so-called gun violence cases involve fatalities, 42% involve woundings, and 10% are cases in which shots are fired defensively but don't hit anyone. Less than 4% of cases involve no shots fired, and more than half of those involve the criminal being held at gunpoint until the police arrive. But as any real gun control experts know, these kinds of cases represent just a tiny fraction of the actual instances in which firearms are used defensively for self-protection. They're lying about the real numbers, folks, and they could care less about the science.